0: Hello and welcome to Rocky Minute. We are the daily podcast that analyzes the movie Rocky one minute at a time. I am Doug Greenberg. And I am Jason Haynes. And today, we are knocking out minute one. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I thought you might. Which, uh, it starts with a black screen, and it ends with two guys circling each other in a filthy boxing ring.
1: Mm.
0: Alright, I guess we'll jump right into it. The black screen uh, leads up to the MGM logo, uh, the iconic logo with the lion roaring. And then that leads up to the United Artists logo. Uh, and then it goes back to the black screen. But first, uh, just a little background on the old Metro Golden Mayor. Uh, it was founded in on April 17th, 1924 by Marcus Lowe. I guess that would be the uh, the same family that the Lowe Cinemas.
1: Yes, it is, actually. Yes. I also looked it up, but there was just so much information and it's it's been around for so long and it made so many movies that it was a lot to take in.
0: You know, the, um, the thing that I, I found funny about it, not f- funny, but, um, weird. Cause you think MGM is like a, like a conglomerate, mm-hmm. you know, nothing but smash hit after smash hit. They were actually in, in financial trouble a few times. Like the studio was sold over and over again, but, uh, well back to the, the findings, uh, the co-founder was Lewis Mayer. Back then, they were the dominant film studio in Hollywood. Despite being the last studio to convert to sound pictures, mm-hmm. uh, they started becoming unprofitable uh, because they, uh, I guess, they, they were kind of an old-school studio that were set in their ways. So They didn't want to change the uh, times. They didn't want to change with the times, you know, legally, like legal speaking, economically, um, the uh, main demographic and just the general nature of the business. Yeah, the company was sold a few times. Nineteen seventy three, they were forced to shut down theatrical distribution for putting out utter crap. Really, <laughs> what what crap did they put out? I don't know. Like you said, it was. I got down started to go down a, a, a it's rabbit a hole.
1: It's a lot. It of was a lot, a
0: lot. But I mean, the same thing with with Universal Studios. Like, it, it just seems that the movie business as a whole is just ugly but when you
1: when I was looking up I um started reading that history and then I got really was not into it yeah (laughs) it's boring and I just started looking at some of the movies that MGM put out throughout the years I mean you're talking about Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Singing in the Rain, Ben-Hur, Dr. Zhivago, all the 007s um and then even you know some recent hits like Legally Blonde and Barbershop and (laughs) Breaking, you know, it's not a recent hit, but that you know, a classic, of course. I mean, they put out some Poltergeist, some really, really good movies. So You're
0: saying it just kept getting better up till Breaking and Legally Blonde, Clash of the Titans. <laughs> Breaking the, break- the new Clash of the Titans, or the no, this was the original. One, I believe.
1: I'm sure they put out the new one, unless they sold it. But Oh yeah, Spaceballs, even it's some some really really good movies.
0: But so that was that was only after they sold it, right? Because it, uh, I guess. It says in 73 they were forced to shut down. So, I, I mean, I guess the, the rise was Wizard of Oz and, and Ben-Hur and stuff. Yeah. And then after 73, they, like I said, they were, putting, they were putting out garbage. So they still produced the films, but they released through other studios such as... United Artists. United Artists. He, uh, the, own, the guy that bought it, the uh, studio owner, his name was Kirk Kerkorian. He committed to turning the company around. And uh, he bought United Artists in 1981 and that's um, uh, well they used to before that they, they put out the James Bond franchise as you were saying but they again they sold they were sold a few more times between then and then they tanked due to a massive debt um, and then there was a bidding war between other like big-time companies like Time Warner General Electric and Sony in 2004 and it was uh, the bidding was won by a partnership comprised of Sony, Comcast, Texas Pacific Group, Providence, Equity Partners, and others. Wow. That's a little, little background. Oh, I also found... Uh, where we got here? About the logo itself. Leo the Lion. It was... Let me see. It was crafted in 1916 by chief publicist Howard Dietz. Uh, it was the lion, roaring lion surrounded by a ring of film with the... The studio quote "Ars Gratia Artis," uh, which means "art for art's sake." The,
1: the two things I know remember about the logo is one, the roaring line that was like a iconic, you know, opening to any movie in the beginning was that roaring line. Like everybody would recognize that and would uh, identify with that.
0: You expected something big. You come. did.
1: You did. The second thing was I took Latin in high school. And I remember one of the first things that Miss Sansone oh. went over in Latin. Thank you, Miss Sansone. Was uh, the Ars Artis Gratia. We, Ars Gratis Artia. How do you say it again?
0: Ars well, i edit that gratis out gratis later. <laughs> gratia Artis.
1: Yes, *Ars* for arts sake. I remember her going over that in the very beginning of Latin.
0: Was that the... Um the example, the Metro Golden Mayor yes,
1: thing? we talked about that because she had brought up you know Latin that's used in every day because you know Latin's obviously a dead language, but she was talking about how we still use Latin every day, and the first lesson she talked about was that roaring lion and arts for Art's sake, so I wish. didn't even
0: realize there were there was words on the, the uh no. the thing no, I didn't really pay attention. I just heard the lion roar, and I knew like I said, knew something big was coming. sure was. All right, so it brings us to the uh, United Artists logo, which uh, I did a lot less research on United Artists. Well, because there is a lot less research on United Artists. Uh, but what I will say is we had talked about the, the opening logo. Right. The, um, the version that, that I copied for the sake of, of the podcast, I think that's their most recent logo, right, with the UA and then the, the, the words that, like, shoot across the screen. Correct, and then uh, and the, and the music is different. Yes, and I always thought because I think this this was the uh the opening for the Rocky two or three the the UA that starts sideways and then it, it slowly spins. spins yes, I don't. with the with like the piano notes, the like one piano note. I'm not, I'm not gonna ding <laughs> <laughs> it's like boom. I don't know how to do a piano note. <laughs> it was more like a xylophone. Boom. <laughs> but the original, I the original 1976 United Artists logo that came before th- this movie in theaters was like a black screen with three blue lights. From it, it's like the uh, the United Artists mm-hmm. words are backlit by three blue lights that come on in order from one on the right, one on the left, one on the center, and then it reveals the words United Artists.
1: But United both. Artists was the first. Like when you see the Roaring Lion and the MGM thing, like you're walking, you, you know, you're when you're a kid and you put on, you know, it's eight o'clock, so you put on the movie station to see what's coming on. When the MGM logo comes up, you're like, well, this could be anything, you know, this this could be Dr. Zhivago, Clash <laughs> of the Titans, Spaceball. But that comes out, you're like, this could be anything. But once the United Artists logo came on, you were like, oh, one of the Rockies is about to come on now. Like that was the first, you know, I, I couldn't really find too many more famous movies that I've seen that United Artists did, but that was the first... That United Artists logo was the first, like, oh, you know, this is going to be Rocky. Oh, yeah. And that was, was your first identifiable down. thing that Rocky was about to come on. And, well, you know, there were no program guides back then, so you had to just wait and see if it was Rocky or not,
0: but... I remember um, being a kid, and, and I saw MGM. I was keeping my fingers crossed and closing my eyes tight, hoping for Dr. Zhivago... <laughs> and then i saw united artists like oh shucks it's rocky
1: again we're singing in the rain you know uh. <laughs> rocky again it's just on
0: but the uh so after after the logo disappears it's a black screen again and then there's that 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 pause where you're holding your breath cuz you know what's coming
1: you know it's rocky you just don't know which
0: one yet so you're waiting well you got to wait for the giant scroll to go across oh. the screen to find out if there's any roman numerals after it <laughs> But the first thing you hear after that silence is, is the fanfare.
1: Yes, yes. Speaking of fanfare, you know, uh, well, using... Actually, the song is called Fanfare for Rocky. was such a fitting thing. And, you know, when I was looking into this, I said, really, everything that you need to know is just in the, uh, the definition of fanfare. The definition of fanfare is... Ready? A short ceremonial tune or flourish... Played on brass trumpets, typically to introduce something or someone important. You know, fanfare was like, you know, the king is about to come in or you're about to see something great. And even when you do, when you're a little kid and you're going to introduce something to your parents or do like a magic trick or something, you always started with like, da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da, like that was the fanfare that you were about to see something amazing, like something great was about to happen.
0: Though your magic tricks weren't as... No,
1: they were... (laughs) Well, you know, there's no minute-by-minute minute podcast of my magic tricks. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, but Rocky fanfare is is just synonymous in its its grandiosity. You know, just 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 look at the 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 white words that scrolling across the screen as the fanfare plays. The, the words are as as tall as the screen right. is tall. Simple, very bold, simple, big, bold, big, and and just just sailing across the screen, just revealing. Like, you could tell that's, like, not ever seen this movie before. You can tell something big is is happening. Right. So the letters trail off, and it leaves the screen black for a moment before the word November 25th, 1975. Who, who wrote the fanfare? Oh, you want to get into Bill Conti?
1: Maybe a little, just a touch upon him right now. Well, you see, music was a very, very, very important part of Rocky. You know, the music was a score that was written for the film. It wasn't like nowadays when you have... Your, your, they just take like different songs that are popular and just piece them mm-hmm. together, throw them in a movie somewhere. Like, this was written, you know, the movie was written first and Bill Conti went over the script and made the music for this particular movie. So I mean, the mu- music is very, very important.
0: It seems like back then scores held a lot more weight. I hear Dr. Zhivago has a fantastic <laughs> score.
1: <laughs> but, you yeah, know, they did, they did, because it was written specifically for that. Like, I was re- watching an interview that Bill Conti did about making the music for Rocky, and there was some really, really interesting um, points that he brings up you know when he was talking about making the music and one was that um, he, he used a lot of brass instruments because brass was a signal that you're about to go to war. Yeah, and he also, he, he said he wanted to make the score so that what you which heard in the music, what you were watching. So in the fight scenes, when punches were being thrown, the music got, you know, when the fight got intense, the music got louder. When, you know, the depressing parts of the movie, you know, the dark, depressing parts, he used it, just a lone piano. Like lonely, a reprise. Like a,
0: dun, dun. I, love, I love that Rocky yeah. reprise.
1: And he said he, you know, balanced it between the, the sad music and the inspirational. <laughs> he also goes into great detail on how the music was created for the training montages, which... You know, we'll talk about when we get oh, to them. Man, sounds really a good one. yeah, it's really interesting. We could probably do a whole podcast just on the music of Rocky with Bill Conti.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you could. I mean, you you, you having a music background yourself can appreciate. Ooh, it. What I'm glad you most? brought that up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was a, a fantastic saxophone player in high school, and music was always important to me. So, I'm going to you know touch a lot upon the music of Rocky.
0: So you notice scores like if, if there's a. Something to point out in, Not just Rocky Just any movie that, That's That's brilliantly written By by the composer Like you notice it
1: Right And, and one other Side note about Bill Conti Is he uh, In another fight movie Another great Great fighting movie He uh, wrote the song You're the best at Which uh, goes to In the fight scene Of Karate Kid at The end of Karate You're the best Around Yeah the tournament
0: montage He wrote yeah. that
1: And uh, That was actually sung by A guy named Joe Esposito Joe Esposito sings Hearts on Fire in Rocky 4 as Whoa. well. So we've come full circle. Whoa. 6 degrees of separation between Rocky <laughs> wow. and Karate Kid. No kidding. Yes, I really want to sing Hearts on Fire right
0: now, but we'll Please. save that for uh, a yeah. Rocky, Rocky 4 minute. Yeah, we'll give us a few years for that.
1: So yeah, so the music is very did, uh,
0: did he did he do the uh the rest of the score for Karate Kid or just wrote you're the best? The I question. believe <laughs> I believe he just wrote that song. He wrote a lot of songs. You can. All right. So uh, so as the uh, letters "Rocky" trail off, it leaves the screen black for a moment before the words "November twenty fifth, nineteen seventy five, Philadelphia" comes up on screen.
1: Not too much happened on that date. If,
0: if you Google the date to see. I did. I did. There was uh, like some some uh, conflict in some other country. Was oh, actually, Suriname. You're
1: talking about? Yes. Suriname actually gained their uh, independence from the Netherlands on that date in history. So that, that you like know I what said, I was looking for, like, a celebrity birthday or something. It seems like that was just like a normal Tuesday where nothing really <laughs> happened. Just a regular old Tuesday in November.
0: As I'm sure it was a regular old Tuesday at... Crap. Okay. I didn't write down the name of the church. Uh, the boxing gym. Well, uh, Resurrection AC? Is that what it was? Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yes, yes. Uh, Well, the the words, uh, November 25th, 1975, Philadelphia fade away uh, as the fanfare trails off, and they open up on a painting of Jesus. I'm
1: going to talk about, though, the Philadelphia as being the center, you know, know, uh, where the movie was filmed. I mean, it's, like, very fitting, because Philadelphia, you know, when you watch a lot of the movie... When you're watching the crowd at the boxing gym and they're like throwing things in the ring, they're yelling at the fighters or calling them bums, and that's kind of like Philadelphia sports fans. That's how they are. They're very passionate. they are voiced their opinion. That's That could be like a day of the Eagles game, <laughs> throwing <laughs> stuff on the field, yelling at the players. But it's a, it's a passionate sports city. It's a middle-class working city, and it was just like the perfect – I don't think they could have chosen a better um, city to film the movie in.
0: Yeah, I think everybody like um, gut reaction is like New York, like centered right. around New York. But I, I agree, I think Philadelphia is a perfect, perfect blue collar city for this for this type of of film. Okay, um, you were talking about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. well, I, uh, you know, as as um, you know, during his training montages and as we're moving around the city, we'll talk more about the landmarks and, and places they go and stuff. So um, yeah, we'll we'll cover a lot of Philadelphia. Um, we have a painting of Jesus. Uh, looking down on two guys as the camera pans down to two fighters in a ring as one who uh, we come to know and love as Spider Rico delivers a devastating left hook into another fighter who comes to be Rocky, uh, his face.
1: So you want to talk about the punch or Spider Rico? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you have something on
1: Spider I do Rico. <laughs> have on Spider Rico. <laughs> well, Spider Rico was played by an actor named Pedro Lavelle, who was uh, an retired Argentinian boxer, and he—he um, uh, he so, he was a really, actually a really good up-and-coming boxer. He had nicknames of KO King, LA Bomber, One Punch Jawbreaker. He was known for just knocking guys out. And then um, Terry Krueger in 1973 not, um, knocked him unconscious, and he was unconscious for three minutes. <laughs> and everybody thought, you know, his career was over. And he actually made a comeback and fought a nationally tele- televised fight against. Ken Norton, who had Whoa. some famous fights against Muhammad Ali.
0: Who also has a connection to this film. Does he? He was one of the actors um, auditioning for Apollo Creed.
1: See that? See how we've come full, full circle, circle, circle once again. again? But Ken Norton knocked him out in five rounds, and Spider Rico's <coughs> or Pedro Lavelle's career was over. <laughs> and Norton went on to be in the Boxing Hall of Fame, and of course, he had a, his son
0: played football for the 49ers. Pedro Lavelle's only other acting credit is restaurant patron in Rocky Balboa. I read that, but I've never seen Rocky
1: Balboa, so I can't,
0: uh, I actually, uh, when I didn't know that when I first saw Rocky Balboa and, uh, you know, he refers to him as, as Spider Rico. And I was like, is that the, it didn't, I mean, it's obviously 30 years older, but, uh, I says, can that be the same actor? So I went back and looked and those were his only two acting credits. So, I, I mean, it's kind of weird to bring, <laughs> to bring Spider Rico back 30 years to just reprise his role. But, I mean, you know, it's kind of like a bit of nostalgia for, for the original movie fans.
1: Sure. See Spider Rico again.
0: So Rocky, uh, after getting hit in the face, he ties up Spider Rico. You know, he just he just hugs him until they're separated by the ref. I think that's a fighting technique, right? When you're, when you're tired. Uh, and yeah, you're trying you need to buy to some catch time. Your, right. Get your act together. All right. And then the, the ref separates the two fighters, and they slowly begin uh, to circle each other in the middle of the ring. Which is, I mean, the ring, the ring itself is, not, not the ring, um, what do you call it, Resurrection Resurrection gym? AC. Resurrection AC. Resurrection Athletic Club. Athletic Club, Club gotcha. Um, Which
1: is actually in, in Los Angeles. Yes. The actual gym. And it was, uh, it was actually in Los Angeles, and it was bought by um, Oscar De La Hoya in uh, 19, I want to say, 19, it was opened in 1924 as a boxing gym. It actually originally opened as a church, and then it converted to a boxing gym. and It was bought by Oscar De La Hoya in the '90s, where he made the Oscar De La Hoya Youth Center, trying to get troubled youths off the street and get them into, uh, you know, athletics and boxing.
0: Yeah, commendable. Yeah. Uh, in uh, the gym was in East Los Angeles, which um, I think we all learned from the film "Born in East L.A." Uh, <laughs> starring Cheech Marin was a uh... full circle once again. I mean,
1: <laughs> Connection between Cheech Marin and Rocky.
0: So as the uh, the minute ends with the camera pulling out from the two fighters to like to reveal the. Uh, the gym itself, and you see it's just a smoky, dingy, dark, yeah, yeah, like dark. There's crowds only crowds are rough,
1: throwing people things at the guys. Just yeah,
0: people smoking, people like moseying around. They said the, the f- garbage all over the place. People it's yelling a Tuesday, you know, it's not even like
1: a, <laughs> like a Saturday night pay per view fight. This is like a Tuesday in Philadelphia. The fight is so like the whole scene, like you're to start off, you kind of already from the very beginning get a feel of what Rocky's all about, just like he's a, you know, older guy, he's fighting in a dirty, dark gym, smoke-filled gym on a Tuesday night, you know, the fight, like, they're both beat up, they're both, you know, it's it, it's just a symbolic of this is where he's at in his life, you know, he's, he's got, he's working, you know, we find out later he has other jobs, but here he is, like, trying to make it as a boxer, trying to fight, and it's just, you know, he's older, but he's still just fighting in these little gyms, and it's just, you know, you gotta really grasp, you know, what's going on in his life.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great way to, to introduce... I mean, at this point, we don't know who's who. We don't know what, if either character is Rocky, let alone which one. But you definitely get a... It's a great way to open because you get a feel of... Just like the, the blue-collar nature of right. of what, what he's doing. And we find out later this week, he got paid like $40 for that fight. And he's doing this a couple of times a week, just trying to make it by $40 for getting his face bashed in.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's just You know, they're both tired fighters just trying to make it. fighting for nothing
0: so we got i mean this is this is a very dense movie you know there's a lot a lot of background a lot i mean it's it's very visceral where just by seeing the stuff on screen you can kind of Touch it and feel it, you know.
1: I, the way those guys look, I felt like that before. Like I, you know, there's days
0: when, you
1: know, I have a, a one year old at home, and it's kind of very similar how they look in that ring to like how my day goes when I'm watching him. Like we're both tired, we're sweaty. Sometimes I want to hug him, sometimes I want to punch him in the face. But what it's it's and when he sits in the corner at the end of the minute, he sits down, and he's just like. Well, I'm, this actually starts the next minute when he sits down and he's like just beat up and he just, you know, looks exhausted. Exhausted, Like that's how I feel right at the, you know, end of the day when my wife comes home and she's like the referee that separates us. <laughs> and, you know, but that's the, everybody can, can you know, relate to that. Like you've all had days where that's how you felt. You're not a boxer, like whatever job you do, but you just feel like that sometimes.
0: You feel like you just got your ass kicked all day. You got your
1: ass kicked all day and you have a helpless feeling. You're tired. The crowd's yelling at you. There's no crowd at our job, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> But right away, like in the first minute, you're like, you get a feeling for what this is going to be about.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, it goes back to like seeing it when you're a kid. You definitely, you're not just watching a movie. You're, you're you're experiencing it. Right. Because like there's there's highs and lows just like anybody's life. It's, anybody can relate to this because everybody's had had a feeling of isolation, a feeling of um, loneliness, you know, and that's.
1: A feeling of being, you know, an underdog trying to accomplish something and trying to. Make something of your life.
0: and When all odds are against.
1: But all, what we're going to learn is all you need is one opportunity to turn it all around. All right.
0: Well, with that said, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow with Minute 2. Thanks for checking back in, those of you that stuck with us. And hopefully this is getting better and better all the time. See you next time.